There's something so nice about just, just praising his name, exalting his name. And uh, it, is a, it is a refreshing to your soul. I do want to say before we begin our study tonight, we have an announcement to make. And uh, it is concerning children's ministry. Everybody say children's ministry. I like to call it the most important ministry of the church. Because that is a, that is a particular a category of people that, that the enemy has targeted and that the Lord cherishes and said that if we don't have faith like them, we're not going to the kingdom of heaven. If you're currently serving in children's ministry or are interested in serving in children's ministry at Tree of Life Church, you will not want to miss a very special time that we have coming. If you're uncertain as to what children's ministry encompasses at Tree of Life Church and are curious, then come and learn more on Saturday, April 27th. Could you say that with me? Saturday. We need a little more unity on that. We got to get that word down. Let's do it together. One, two, three. Saturday, April 27th at 9 a.m. until noon. April 27th. So that is the last Saturday of the month of April. Uh, April 27th at 9 a.m. Until, until noon. We'll be talking about children's ministry, vision, mission, expectations, opportunities. You won't want to miss a panel discussion on how to be effectual in children's ministry as an individual. This is a powerful and dynamic team, and it is a harvest field that absolutely must be reached. And uh, so we want to encourage you, if you want to be a part, and if you are currently a part of that ministry, uh, do be a part of that uh, Saturday, April 27th at 9 a.m. Children's Ministry Workshop. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, we're going to continue tonight our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and it's going to be the last lesson on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we're going to be talking tonight about meekness and temperance. Meekness and temperance. I'm, I'm putting these two together because I feel like they go together. They don't really, uh, it's hard to really have uh, temperance unless you have meekness. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and we've talked about that, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, which means against such there's no legislation. You cannot pass a law that causes these fruit of the Spirit to grow. Just like you can't pass a law that, that stipulates to natural fruit that it must grow. It is either going to grow by nature or it's not going to grow at all. You're going to place the seed in the ground. You're going to water it. You're going to expose it to sunshine. And then you're going to hope and pray for a miracle to occur. And thanks be unto God, the miracles do, in fact, occur. But, but we're talking tonight about meekness and temperance. And just a quick overview of what we've been discussing. The fruit of the Spirit are, are primary, primary important matters in the life of a Christian. You cannot claim to be in Jesus Christ if you are not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. 
Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall bear much fruit. So if he's in us and we're in him, there is a natural occurrence that takes place and that is that fruit grows. And it's not just any kind of fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. So it is love. It is joy. It is peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. It grows in you. It, it grows as a result of the seed, which is the Word of God being planted in your heart. It grows as a result of you preparing your heart as good ground to receive that seed. It grows as a result of you allowing your heart as good ground to be exposed to the right kind of environment. The presence of the Lord and the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the fellowship of His, of His body. Allowing that to nurture the seed that is in the good ground. And folks, I'm telling you, fruit will grow. You will be more loving you will have more joy. You will have more peace. You will be able to suffer through things you didn't think you could suffer through. You will be gentle with people. You'll be a good guy. You'll be a good, a good lady, a good woman of God. You'll, you will be full of faith. And it won't be because you manhandled this thing and forced love and forced peace and force joy, but it will, it will happen organically because that's the way the Spirit works and that's the way the Word of God works. So we're talking tonight about the final two fruit of the Spirit that result from that process, the seed and the Spirit of God moving upon the seed and the good ground being prepared. It, 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 and we've talked about this. We look at the parable of the sower when he casts seed out on all of the various types of ground and, there's, and, and it has no effect on certain types of ground. And then it has a minimal effect on other types of ground. But in the end, the only ground that actually produced fruit was good ground. And we can get discouraged and think, well, I hope I'm good ground. I don't want to be thorny ground. I don't want to be shallow ground. I don't want to be wayside ground. I hope that I'm good ground. Well, you can be good ground, but you've got to clear out the thorns. You've got to clear out the rocks. You've got to get off of the wayside and onto the straight and narrow. That's what causes your heart to be open and fertile to the seed, which is the word of God. And that's what causes the fruit to grow. And just to remind you why we want fruit to grow, we want fruit to grow because people are hungry and they need spiritual fruit. And they're going to get it from you when it grows on you. They're hungry and they need peace. They, don't, they, can't, they can't get peace in and of themselves and they can't get it from their world. They're only going to get it from you. You are the tree of life. You are the fruit-bearing branch that is in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So the peace they get when they have no peace is going to come from you. That's why they want to be in your company. That's why they want to be in your presence. That's why they want to be around you. And so if, if, you know, when Jesus walked on the earth, the sinners ran to him, not from him, to him. So we have to take inventory. Why are sinners running from me? If you, if you think you're holier than everybody and you're going to make sure everybody knows that you're holier than everybody, that's not the way Jesus operated. 
Jesus, they listen, and they didn't feel comfortable in their sins with Jesus. They didn't, they didn't run to Jesus because he partied with them. They ran to Jesus because they, they, they knew that there was hope when they were with him. When they were with Jesus, they knew they were in the presence of one who had an answer for the thing that bound them. So that's what we want to be to our world. Our world is hungry, and we have the fruit that they can eat of. And the fruit is not some vague, nebulous, uh, abstract concept. No, no, no. It's very clear. It's love, and it's joy, and it's peace, and it's goodness, and it's gentleness, and it's all this great stuff. And it's going to bless the people who know you. Meekness and temperance. Or shall I say humility or humble gentleness and self-control. Humble gentleness and self-control. Now, uh, when we talk about self-control, that sounds like a really big word. I don't mean it's hard to pronounce and I don't mean it's hard to spell. I mean it's hard to do. Self-control is a hard thing to manage. It is impossible for your flesh to manage self-control. You might be able to bite your tongue till you bite it off. But God knows the heart. Real self-control isn't just something that causes you to, to sit back, internalize, internalize, get bitter at everybody. I'm not going to say nothing, but I'm sure going to think it. Bless God. That's not real self-control. Because all you're doing is feeding the flesh under the radar. That's actually hypocrisy. Now, if you don't have anything good to say, we know not to say anything at all. But I like to say this to spirit-filled believers. If you don't have anything good to say, say something good anyway. Amen. There is a self-control that can come upon you that can absolutely bring a beautiful temperance to your life. And, and that's what we want to talk about tonight. I want to, I want to key in on some areas. Um, you know, one thing is, is that God will give you, and this is the Holy Ghost doing it, the Holy Spirit's going to provide a regulating power in your life, and the Holy Spirit is going to help you gain control of your emotions. The Holy Spirit is going to help you gain control of your emotions. When you're having trouble... Controlling your emotions, you need to call upon the Lord for his help. You need to study his word for his help. You need to read godly teaching about, about anger and about envy and about lust and things of that nature. And able to overcome that, this is within the power, not of your flesh, but it is within the power of the Holy Ghost. In you. And the Bible says that you are to yield yourselves, your members, as members of instruments of righteousness. So your body, actually, and the members of your body become instruments of righteousness. Now turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28. We're going to read some scriptures here tonight to help us gain control of our emotions and understand uh, better how temperance can become a part of our life. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, the scripture says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. When you have no control over your own spirit, 
when anything can trigger you, when anything can set you off, and maybe it's not anything, let's don't, let's don't make it that far out of reach, when small things trigger you and set you off, make you angry, make you bitter, make you envious, make you full of wrath, uh, you are a person who has no rule over their spirit, and you are like a city that is broken down and without walls. You are like the devil's playground. He's wreaking havoc in your life. And that's why your emotions are going every which direction. One day you're up, the next day you're down. Forget that. One hour you're up, and 15 minutes later you're down. Because you were like a city that is broken down. And without walls. Isaiah chapter 26. And we're going to read just a few verses of scripture here in Isaiah chapter 26. Verse number 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. See, the walls that you need in your life are not walls you build, but they are walls that the Lord builds. Except the Lord built the house. They labor in vain that build it. See, the walls you build are going to wall off meaningful people in your life. The walls you build are going to keep you from trusting again and keep you from loving again. Keep you from being in fellowship again. Cause you to judge everybody in your future based on who hurt you in the past. Those are the kind of walls you build. But the Bible says that God will appoint for walls salvation. And he will appoint salvation for bulwarks. Open ye the gates. Oh, hallelujah. See, when, you got a, when you've got a strong wall that God built, you can open the gates. That the righteous nation that keepeth the truth may enter in. Now listen to this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Oh hallelujah. When you have no rule over your own spirit. You're like a city that's broken down and without walls. But, but salvation, God has appointed for walls and bulwarks. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes into, into place. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to uh, read some verses of Scripture here from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to tell you, you can find everything you need in the Word of God. Everything you need in the Word of God. You have to have control over your emotions. You need to have self-control. And, and you can't do it by yourself. You have to do it by the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 25. Wherefore, putting away lying. That's a self-control issue. Some people find themselves in a tough spot and they don't want to own up to the truth. So they lie their way out of it. They didn't lie their way out of anything. They lied their way into a deeper bondage. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. 
See, temperance, the Holy Ghost begins to moderate you and it will heal you of a lying tongue. It will deliver you from a lying tongue. Because the Holy Ghost will regulate your life, moderate your life, sanctify your life to where you're going you're to live the kind of life where you won't need to lie about things. The things we lie about are the things we know are wrong and should not have been doing them. But when you are living righteous before the Lord, you don't have anything to lie about. The Holy Ghost will make that available to you. And if you do make a mistake, you have, because of the power of the Holy Ghost, you have such a confidence in the grace and the mercy of God that you are willing to speak the truth and not lie and try to find a way of dishonesty out of your circumstances. Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry... And a lot of people like to put a big exclamation point right there. But that's not what the Bible puts there. It puts a little comma there. Be ye angry. And some people like to put four exclamation points and a few emojis in there too. But that's not what the Bible does. Be ye angry and sin not. Did you know it is possible to refrain from sinning even while you have anger? There is a righteous anger. There is a righteous indignation that a person could have and that a person should have. You need to have an abhorrence or a hatred of sin and ungodliness. But you don't need to try to, to express that anger in such a way that it puts you in a sinful position. Where you have now been unkind. Where you have now shown malice where you have now shown hypocrisy. Be ye angry and sin not. Who can do that? The Holy Ghost can do that. Salvation can do that. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Do you know how many times we have violated that as the people of God? Stop slamming doors. Stop stomping off. Stop getting angry and, and letting the sun go down on your wrath. This scripture should be a guiding principle for every child of God. And it needs to be kept by all parties. If it's a husband and wife, husbands and wives both need to be committed to this verse of scripture. If it's a brother and brother, sister and sister. If it's a, an employee, an employer... All parties in the body of Christ need to be committed to this principle. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't let that thing fester. Have a heart to heart. Sit down and speak to one another. Can somebody, let me ask you a question that you don't have to answer verbally but internally. Can somebody trust you with that kind of a conversation? Can somebody trust you with the kind of a conversation that says, I've got something I need to talk to you about. I don't know what to do with it. But I have, I have ought against my neighbor. And I need, to, I need to talk to you about it. And can they trust you that you won't say, sure, go right ahead. And then while they're telling you what they were feeling that you didn't know they were feeling. The Bible tells them. 
to, to go to the one with whom they have ought. But here's what they know about you. They know you'll never forgive them for it. Here's what they know about you. They know that you will hold it against them for having ought in the first place. Now you've got ought. What you both ought to do is be kind one to another and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Is to be able to confess faults one to another. I'm going to tell you something. We've got to get back into the business of forgiving people. Hallelujah. I'm going to, I think that's worth clapping our hands about. I'm talking about wholesale forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness that God gives to us. That's the kind of forgiveness you have to give people. Not the kind of forgiveness like, I forgive you, but I'm, I'm going to hold on to it. And I'm going to not only hold on to it, I'm going to hold on to it right over your head. I'm going to dangle that thing over you every time I see you're starting to go back to your old ways. What if God did that to you? How treacherous. And God knows everything about you. And you walked into this place, lifted up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. What did you not doubt? You did not doubt that God would receive you. You did not doubt that God would accept your praise. You did not doubt that God would welcome you into his presence. You didn't doubt that one bit. You want to know why? Because he's a good God. And you know he's a good God. And you know that he knows everything you've said and everything you've done and everything you've thought. And he still welcomes you into his presence and doesn't hold anything over your head. And he knows you could stab him in the back as soon as you walk out of here. He knows that. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you could go right back to what you were doing before you came in here and, and praised his name. That you could go right back and start treating people the way you were treating them. Treating God the way you were treating him. And yet you'll walk back in here in the next service and you know what he'll do? He'll say, come unto me, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's the kind of forgiveness we have to give to each other. Well, what if I have, what if I have an issue with them? You go to them and you talk to them. And you say, here's my issue. I need to pray with you. I need to weep with you. I need not to let the sun go down upon my wrath. Hallelujah. Amen. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could just operate like the, like the body of Christ? How awesome would it be if we could just be the church of the living God? Where we could just speak and know that when, I'm, when I speak to my brother or to my sister, that, that, that I'm able to get this out. And husband and wife, able to speak to one another and say, Here's a, oh, here it is right here. These are words, two words. It's, yeah, I'm going to say three words. I almost combined two of the words, but I'm going to say three words. That you need to get down in your spirit and memorize these, okay? Memorize these. You ready? I am sorry. Just, could you just get that down in your spirit? Could you get that down in your soul? I am sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. I don't want anything to be between us. I, those are amazing words. Now, that brings meekness into the picture. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't wait for the other person to approach the issue. You go to them. 
and lay that out in Jesus' name. The scripture goes on to tell us, it teaches us that we are not to be angry, or we are, if we are angry, we're not to sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Don't you know you're giving him place? When you let wrath fester in your life, you, you, you're, you've given place to the devil. Do you know what that means? That, that means it's like going out into the Rocky Mountains and having a cookout. They say don't leave food open because bears might come down. That's like you going down and laying all kind of slabs of steaks out on the, on the grill and then lighting the fire and just standing out there waiting for the bear to come. That's what leaving wrath unresolved in your life is like. You are creating a, an environment that is perfectly suited for the devil to walk into your life. And I'm going to tell you something. He's brought so many unclean ideas into your world because of the wrath you've left unresolved. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor Anybody else getting convicted? Am I the only one? And all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here it is. Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even here it is. As God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So how am I supposed to forgive people? You forgive them like God forgives you, and you do it for the sake of Christ. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading at the fifth verse. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. This means bringing your, the members of your body under subjection to the Spirit of the Lord. Fornication, uncleanness, Inordinate affections. That means unnatural affections. And we're living in a world where inordinate affections are encouraged. But they, are, they cause so much confusion in the life of a man or a woman. Inordinate affections mortify those inordinate affections. Mortify evil concupiscence. Which is, again, very lustful thoughts. Mortify covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. I don't know if that's set in properly. I'm going to say it again. Covetousness. When you want what they have, because you're comparing yourself to them, and you feel like you are without because they have this, and you feel like you should have that, that's idolatry. You're worshiping something that's not God. Your heart has an affection set on something of this world, and it's not of the Lord. When somebody is blessed and you see them blessed, praise God with them. Don't envy them. Praise God with them. Rejoice with them for the blessing that God has brought into their life. And I'm going to give you a little secret. If you'll do it, 
God will bless you. Because he can trust you with a blessing. God can't trust you with blessings when you're envious of everybody else's blessings. You're looking down at the Joneses' driveway. How do they afford that car? How in the world do they afford it? I know what they do. How in the world? Don't, don't, don't even rejoice in the Lord and, and thank God for any blessing that comes to your brother or your sister. And here's again the little secret. God will bless you. Let God bless you. Don't try to climb up over the ladder and push somebody else off and kick them off and compete with, oh, yeah, well, look at, the, look at the boat I've got. Look at the car I've got. Look at the clothes I've got. You don't have to compete with anybody. You don't want those kind of blessings in your life because when they come from man, they come with a hook. When they come from God, they add no sorrow. And let God, if God, if God bestows abundant material blessings on you, thank Him for it. But let it come from God. Don't let it come from your mad, crazed rage of trying to get ahead of somebody else. That is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. I mean, nobody wants to have the wrath of God coming on them. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these. You ready for all these? All of them. You don't get to hold on to any of them. And we're going to start just pulling them away. Okay, when they, when they get pulled away, let them go. Don't reach up and grab them and say, no, I'll just keep that one right here. All these need to go. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, where there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, where there is neither barbarian nor Scythian, where there is neither bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you where God's trying to take you as an individual. He's trying to, this is where he's trying to take you. Christ is all. That's it. All. Christ is all. Christ is all. And he's in all. And that's where, that's where God's taking you. So he's going to take away the anger. He's going to take away the wrath. He's going to take away the malice. You may not even be able to conceive of how this is going to happen. I'm telling you that's because it won't be a work of your flesh. It'll be a fruit of the Spirit. Temperance. Temperance. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. That means feel it deep within your gut. Bowels of mercy. Not just, not pretend mercy. Not Fake kindness, not fake smiles, but bowels of mercies and kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. I love those words because we, we say forbearing and forgiving and we don't think about what they mean. Bearing for and giving for one another. You have to know that's what Christ did for us. Christ bore the iniquities for us. And Christ gave 
for us. That's what we say when we say Christ forgave me. We say he gave for us and he gave for everybody around us. That's why nobody owes you anything. Because Christ gave for it. Or forgave it. Hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Lord. See, this is the way Jesus loved. This, this, do you know this is who we look unto, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, but he endured the cross. You know how he endured the cross? Because he wasn't bitter at anybody that was brutalizing him. He said, Father, forgive them. Give for them. They owe me after what they've done. That's what the flesh says. They owe me for what they've done. But, but that's not what the Spirit says. The Spirit says, give for them or forgive them. For they know not what they do. And I love, I have to point this out. What did they not know they were doing? They knew they were putting a spear in his side. You mean they don't know what they're doing? They know they're slamming thorns on his forehead. I mean, they know they're putting a whip on his back. They know they're nailing nails into his hands and feet. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? Of course they know what they're doing. Here's what they didn't know. They knew not that they crucified the Lord of glory. And here's what you didn't know when you wounded somebody. When you did it to them, you did it to him. And here's what they didn't know when they hurt you. When they did it to you, they did it to him. Father, forgive them. Father, give for them. Hallelujah. And I thank God that he gave... He gave for every offense. He, or you might say forgave, but I'm going to switch it. He gave for every offense. He gave for every brokenness. He gave for every wound. He gave for every snide remark. He gave for every word of persecution, for every act of injustice. He gave for it. And now we are to forgive others as he has forgiven us. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Forbearing and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any. He leaves it open-ended. If any man. That, I don't care who you are. Anybody. If any man. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how much importance there is surrounding your position. If any man have a quarrel. Any quarrel. Against any. Even as Christ forgave you. Or gave for you, so also do ye. Hallelujah. You're like, wait, wait a minute. I know me. I know me. If they're going to treat me like that, then we're going to have an issue, and we're going to have an issue right now. That's not just you. That's all of us. That's our flesh. But what I'm talking about is a fruit of the Holy Ghost. That can get so deep down on the inside of you and it can grow up as a mighty plant of temperance. And when you have a control over yourself that has come by virtue of the Holy Ghost, you're going to feed the hungry with that fruit. You're going to feed the hungry with that fruit. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Controlling your emotions. Uh, real quickly, I'm going to just, I, I, I don't, I don't want to take too long, even though we should teach a whole series on this, and, and we will, but, but really quick, we want to talk about even control of finances. Control of finances. Did you know the Holy Ghost will put a temperance in you that will give you control of your finances? 
Don't let finances control you. You let the Holy Ghost give you dominion over your finances. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Haggai chapter 1. We're going to read this amazing uh, passage of scripture from Haggai chapter 1. And verse number 5, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag of holes. So he said, consider your ways. I, I, I want you to know that God will so baptize you with temperance that it will even affect the way you spend your money, save your money, earn your money, invest your money. He will give you divine guidance if you will put him first. He will so abundantly bless you with divine guidance, when he's telling you to consider your ways, he's not saying, good luck with that. He's saying, there's an answer for you. Consider your ways. And God will begin to regulate your spirit to such a degree that you will not have need of the things you can't afford. And he will bless you to have the things you need. And he will bless you abundantly. Hallelujah. He will open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings you cannot contain. God will do that. The Holy Ghost will do that. And you will have tempered, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, you will have tempered your tendency to spend more than you earn. God will begin to balance that for you if you will put Him first and genuinely ask Him for help. And say, God, help me. I want, you to, I want you to make this an act of the Spirit of God. Because the devil will tempt you to extend yourself beyond what you are capable of doing. Out of covetousness. Out of doing what everybody else is doing. Or so you think everybody else is doing. I like, of course, Dave Ramsey's teaching on financial peace. Total money makeover. Anybody know Brother Dave Ramsey? Amen. It's good teaching. And I like what he said when he said, the Joneses are broke. Why in the world are you trying to keep up with the Joneses? The Joneses are broke. Don't keep up with the Joneses. Let God build your house and, go and obey the principles of his word. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Give him the first fruits. Give it to him. And, and, and test, prove him now herein, the scripture says, and see that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you cannot contain. He said, if you give unto the Lord, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You get that down. That's you putting faith in the Spirit of God, saying, Lord, I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to do what you told me to do, and I'm going to humble myself and ask for you to give me temperance. In financial matters, temperance. And God will temper 
things about you that you didn't even know he could temper. And, and by doing so, he will give you peace. You will live in peace. Control, self-control over your natural affections. Psalm 101. And this is so important, especially in this day and age with internet uh, accessibility. But we're going to talk about natural affections for just a moment. About temperance. Psalm 101 verse 1. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I want to point out a couple of things. Number one, he is speaking of a day when the Lord will come to him. He's referring, I believe, to the infilling of the Spirit of God. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? He's describing the life of a person wherein the fruit of the Spirit are abounding. And he's also describing things that he does to create an environment where the fruit of the Spirit can flourish. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. He is saying, I'm going to open my heart and praise the Lord. And I don't think there's any way we can put a, 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 a level of importance upon the matter of praising God in song. It is one of the chiefest ways to keep your spirit that is in this corruptible body tuned in with God. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That is not just talking about come to church and sing and come to church and make a joyful noise and, and get here on Sunday morning and Sunday night. We'll do that too. But, but it's talking about just sing and make a joyful noise and praise his name. Paul said it like this. Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know what you're doing? You are creating an environment where you will be temperate. Concerning your natural affections. Your natural affections will not have jurisdiction over you in that environment like they would in an environment where you are not praising God. So he sings of mercy and judgment. He sings unto the Lord. And as a result, he behaves himself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, and will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Do you realize the level of, of, of perfection he's describing within my house. I'm not talking about on the sidewalk. I'm not talking about walking down the middle aisle of church. I'm talking about in my house. And I'm not even just talking about the outside of me that everybody can see. I'm talking about my heart. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Oh, glory to God. God can so temper your spirit that he can, he can perfect your heart within your house. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Everybody needs to make that commitment to the Lord and everybody needs to ask help of the Lord and say, God so baptized me with holy temperance that I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. 
Now these are, these are very powerful verses of Scripture that I want to read to you, but they build in such a way that, that we really need to understand what the Lord is doing. He's helping us arrive at a place. First, I'm going to read to you from verse 23 where it says, The very God of peace sanctify you completely or wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. That takes temperance. And temperance is a fruit of the Holy Ghost. But notice what he says in verse 16, because he's going to build you up to this point where he's going to prepare your heart to where then he can put the seed of the word of God in your heart that says abstain from all appearance of evil. If he just walked in here and said abstain from all appearance of evil, you can try. But your flesh, Paul said, my flesh is such that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. And I end up doing that thing that I, would, that I don't want to do. I mean, I really don't want to do the evil thing. That's what Paul is saying. He said, I, I really want to do what's right, but then I find myself gravitating to that which is evil. So, so you can get up and you can say abstain from all appearance of evil all you want, but you're, you, when you're contending with flesh, flesh is a powerful force, and it can only be subdued by the internal working of the Holy Ghost. I can come and make you feel guilty for everything and, and condemn you and promise to make a show of you openly and I can threat and it's not going to do one bit of good because only the Holy Ghost on the inside of a person can begin to make an impact on their activities and their behavior. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, this is what he begins to say. He said, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. If you'll do these things, now you're ready. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Because rejoicing evermore and praying without ceasing... And in everything, giving thanks to God for this is his will in Christ Jesus concerning you. And not quenching the spirit and opening yourself up to the prophecy of the word. And not despising it and holding that which is good. Now you're prepared. And you shall abstain from all appearance of evil. What's happening? What's he doing? He's creating an environment where the fruit of temperance can grow. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, hold fast that which is good and everything, give thanks. These, this is like a greenhouse. Temperance can grow in this environment when you're rejoicing and praying and thanking God in everything. Oh, I, I believe what I'm teaching you right now. I believe this with all of my heart. And I know it is the will of God for you to receive it in Jesus' name. I've talked about temperance and now I'm not going to spend a long time on meekness. Except to say, meekness too, of course, is a fruit of the Spirit. And it takes meekness for you to experience temperance. You must have a meek spirit. God, you have to let God make you meek. And I want to say from the outset, 
Meekness is not a weakness. You've heard me say that before. Meekness is not a weakness. Meekness is a humble gentleness. Meekness is when you are humble before the Lord. Meekness is when you, what makes you humble? What makes you, how does God make you humble? I'm going to tell you the, the, the best way to remain humble. The best way to remain humble is to stand daily at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. When you look into Jesus Christ who suffered on your behalf and you're reminded again that had he not suffered like he suffered, you would be lost. It'll humble you. I, I like to tell the story. My grandfather would tell the story. He's the one that told me and told anybody that would listen to him tell it about his father, Andrew Urshan, who was an, just an old preacher from Persia who showed up in America, couldn't speak English, he was kicked around, persecuted. He received the Holy Ghost, received the revelation of the oneness of God. Jesus' name, baptism, preached it all over the world and, and, and was one of the very significant pioneering forces of the oneness movement. And, and, and he knew what it was like to be humble. He bought his suits from Goodwill. All of his suits came from Goodwill. And sometimes he would show up at a meeting and his son, my grandfather, would say, he'd see him come in with those suits where, you know, it was the 1960s and the lapels had gotten thinner and he's still wearing the wide lapels from the 40s. And grandpa would say, Dad, your lapel is too wide. And he would say, your lapel is too skinny. <laughs> he didn't care. He just going to wear it. He got it for three bucks at Goodwill. Bless God. Thank you, Jesus, for this good suit of clothes I have. And he wasn't trying, he didn't showcase, he didn't run trying to show his humility off. It's just, that was just him. The Holy Ghost had moderated him and tempered him to live like this. And he was at my grandfather's house one day. My grandfather again tells this story. Grandpa was pastoring Calvary Tabernacle. Calvary Tabernacle had grown to be a flagship church of the United Pentecostal Church. And he was preaching on harvest time throughout the world. And, and, uh, and he was, he was, his ministry was soaring and and he was, he was truly being used of God in an extraordinary way. And the old patriarch, his father, was sitting at the kitchen table. And he got worried about his son. Because there was much success in his ministry. And so he said, in his broken English, he said, Nathaniel, you stay home and pray with me today. And his son, who was very busy, uh, looked up from his breakfast and said, oh, I wish I could, but I'm not going to be able to do that. He said, no, you, you stay home and pray with me today. He said, well, Dad, I would pray with you, and trust me, I will pray, but I have things I have to get done. And he said, cancel the things you have to get done. He said, I can't cancel the things. There are appointments there. It's a full schedule. And he started listing each thing that he had to do that day. And Andrew looked back at my grandmother and said, Gene, cancel his schedule. And my grandfather said, no, Gene, don't cancel my schedule. Now, Dad, I want to pray with you, but I have a schedule to keep, and I'm sorry I won't be able to. And, and his father said, come with me. And he took him into the living room, and he pointed to the couch. He said, kneel and pray. <laughs> he said, okay. And he did. And his father said, because if you won't humble yourself, God will humble you. 
And I want you to understand that's very important. My grandfather told that story because he recognized the need for humility, especially when God begins to bless you, especially when God begins to elevate you. And you cannot generate it within yourself. You have to ask God, Lord, help me, help me, help me to be humble. Bring humility into my spirit. I don't know how to be humble on my own. Brother Tenney is the one who said it this way. That, that humility is that strange virtue that the moment you know you've got it, you don't. It's like the guy who said he was so proud of how humble he is. Or the guy who said he's the best in the world at not bragging. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. Humility is something that the Spirit of God grows within you. And other people can see it. But in your mind, you must continue to be humble. Others might see it. Others might thank God for it. Others might respond to it. But don't you get caught up in it. You just continually know, oh God, I need you for my salvation. And I need you to lead me and to guide me. And without you, I can do nothing. I'm going to tell you, it's a... It's a it's a flip side truth, if you please, that without him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through him, which strengtheneth us. Hallelujah. That's what humility says. And, 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 and like the way somebody put it, they said, humility is not uh, thinking less of yourself, but humility is thinking of yourself less. I like that. It's not a woe is me. It's not, a, it's not a, 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 some kind of a sackcloth and ashes that you walk around in. Jesus said when you fast, anoint your face with oil. Don't let everybody know that you are on this, on this, in this position of being humbled. Anoint your face with oil and go out into the marketplace. And, 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 and don't make a show of your humility. But let the Father which seeth in secret, let Him reward you openly. And see, if you'll let God work meekness in you then God can work temperance in you. If you're not meek and humble and gentle, then you don't see the need for temperance in your life. It's always everybody else's fault when you're not meek and you're not humble. When you're not meek and you're not humble, you don't see the need to apologize. Or maybe you do, but that conjunction always factors into your lexicon. However, don't you know what they did to me? Don't you know how they treated me? But humility says, no, I'm lost. I'm lost without Jesus. I don't know. I, I, this is what I believe that the Holy Ghost will do. do. I mean, can we just stop here and just remember Jesus didn't deserve to die? Then why do you feel so justified in being treated the way you feel you should be treated why do you feel so justified in requiring everybody to give you some kind of a of a of a some kind of a praise or adulation no no if 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 men praise you jesus said be wary jesus said you need to be careful when all men praise you and, we, and, and a lack of meekness causes us to look for where the praise is going to come from. And I'm preaching to myself. We, we, we love to be praised. We love it when somebody walks up to us and tells us something good about ourselves. It's, it's affirming to us. And don't stop. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Tell folks. Bless them. Encourage them. I'm not, some people just withhold all the good words. 
oh, I don't want to give anybody the big head. So instead, we're going to kick them around and make sure they feel like they're trash. No, that's not how it works. Keep blessing them, telling them how they've blessed you. That's, that's pouring virtue into their spirit. But, but you as an individual, don't require that. Don't, don't require that from people. Stay on your course whether you ever get praised for it or not. Stay on your course whether people give you credit for it or not. The Father sees in secret. And the Father will reward you openly. I'm going to tell you something. When we're ruling and reigning with him in his glorious kingdom, I want you to know that he's going to pull some people. You didn't even know some of the things they did for God because they didn't talk about it. They kept it in their heart. They kept it in their spirit, and they were dealing with it. And, and nobody praised them, and nobody applauded them, and nobody gave them credit. In fact, other people took the credit from them. When that person that got the credit didn't deserve it, but the father saw it all. He saw it all. He saw it all. He saw it all. And he's going to pull people out of the mix and say, I'm going to give you this position in my kingdom because of, and he's going to name some things that you forgot about. But meekness keeps you always in a place of knowing you don't deserve any of the praise. Only what God gives you. And if God gives it to you, Glory to his name. Glory to his name. I'm thankful for every word of affirmation that comes my way. Anybody that comes and tells me something nice, you, uh, it blesses me so much. But I do know that, that those words of affirmation come from people who don't know everything about me. This is true of my critics as well. People who come and say, well, you, you low down good for nothing. Well, that's your opinion, but you don't know everything about me. So I'm not going to let the praise exalt me or the criticism deflate me. The one that matters is the one who knows everything. <laughs> I'm closing, but I just want to say this. He knows everything. He knows stuff I don't know about me. He knows intentions of my heart that, are, are, that I'm blind to. And he still one day, Lord willing, and then I'm going to live my life in Jesus' name by the grace of God that this will be so. He's going to say to me, well done. How good and faithful servant? Are you kidding me? Do you know what that's going to mean to me? To, to, to know what all he knows about me and he's going to call me good and he's going to call me faithful. That's who matters. That's who matters. And meekness will bring you into a place that that's who matters. And so if nobody's praising you and nobody's retweeting you and nobody's loving your stuff and nobody's saying how great you are and nobody's saying you're good and special, you better know God sees it all. God sees it all. Hallelujah. And there are going to be some folks in the kingdom. You know, we're going to rule with him and reign with him as kings and priests. And the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And there's going to be some people you expect to be God's four-star general because they were so heralded in this life. And you're going to be shocked. There's going to be some folks leapfrog the whole pack you've never heard of who didn't have a position in this world, whose names were never printed, were never heralded, were never exalted. They're going to leapfrog the whole path. And they're going to have a seven-star general walking out. 
king and priest because God saw it all. And he's going to reward you openly. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder if we could just ask the Lord, Lord, I don't know how to be meek, but you can make me meek. Listen, you want to be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's who the earth goes to, is to the meek. That's who the earth goes to, is to the meek, the humble, the gentle. Thank you, Jesus. And the temperance of God will come upon you. Let's stand to our feet right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. 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 Come on, let's lift up our hands unto the Lord right now in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him right now. Let's praise him right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's lift up a praise unto God and ask Him. I want, I want us to ask Him, Lord, help me to be temperate. Help me to be meek. Help me. Help me, Lord Jesus. I can't do it by myself. Lord, let love grow in me. And let joy grow in me. Let peace grow in me. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here, folks. Let me, let me just say this. When people walk into the tree of life, we don't want to be a barren tree. We don't want to be a barren tree. We don't want to call ourselves the tree of life. And then people walk in looking for figs like Jesus did and there's nothing. The tree is withered and dead. No, no, no. We want to be a tree that when people walk in, there's love all around. There's joy hanging from every branch. There's peace, and it's real peace. It's not fake stuff. It's not plastic fruit, but it's real, meaningful gentleness and goodness and meekness and faith and temperance. Hallelujah. And the ability to suffer for a long time. I want to be a tree of life. I want to be the fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Oh, draw 
blessed Lord to the cross where thou hast died oh draw me Hallelujah, nearer blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Oh, draw me nearer, oh, nearer blessed Lord, to the cross. Where thou hast died, oh, draw me nearer, thank you, Jesus, nearer. 